This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bible, turn to the book of James, chapter 5 tonight, if you would. We're winding down our series entitled Practical Christianity. We're coming to the end of the book of James, uh, and we uh, find ourselves in James, chapter 5, tonight, verse number uh, 16. As we uh, wind down the book of James, I've asked um, uh, our deacons uh, and our uh, pastoral staff to provide uh, messages to tie in with practical Christianity. Uh, Basically, not necessarily from the book of James, but hey, what's something good that our church can grow from, practically speaking, as Christians? And so uh, that'll be tacked on to the end of this uh, series. So even after we finish the book of James, we're technically not done with this series for three more weeks after that. And so um, we're we're blessed to have uh, not only a phenomenal assistant pastor who can handle the word well, but two deacons who uh, really are two of the godliest men that I know that can preach well. Uh, And so we get to be blessed to hear from them in the coming weeks as well. And so I encourage you uh, to be here and be in your place for that. Uh, don't forget, two weeks from tonight is our Missions Emphasis Sunday. We'll have uh, Josh and Ruth Lovegrove with us, and so uh, our missionaries to Ethiopia, and uh, Josh will be preaching uh, on Sunday night, and so we'll have some special things coming up we'll have planned. Uh, we'll share with you uh, next week uh, regarding that, but plan on being here next uh, two weeks from tonight uh, for our Missions Emphasis Sunday. James chapter 5, verse number 16, I've entitled tonight's message, Confession, Prayer, and Power. If you have the Huikala app, you can take a look at the notes there, or you can just uh, grab a sheet of paper and jot down some thoughts as we go through this passage of Scripture. As we wind down this passage, James, uh, again, has been talking about suffering in chapter number 5 and uh, how we process through that. Uh, as you go down through this passage, again, we see uh, that he's talking about uh, verse number 13, which we looked at last week. Hey, if anybody is suffering or afflicted, you should pray. Uh, if anybody's married, God's been good to you, you should praise God for it. Uh, If anybody is dealing with spiritual exhaustion, you should pray uh, and your church family will surround you and encourage you and and see you through that. We find ourselves in verse number 16 here tonight. We're going to take a look at uh, 16, 17, and 18 tonight. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not by the earth on a space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Take a look at this passage here. Uh, We're encouraged to confess our faults one to another and to, to pray. Confession is really important because we can't, when it comes to the idea of repentance, we need to be specific with God. Uh, when the day you got saved, you probably confessed your sin and repented of your sin to God, probably in a general sense, like most of us did. God, forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to save me and forgive me because I've sinned against you uh, and to, to give me a home in heaven. Amen. Maybe you prayed a prayer or something like that, or maybe you just made an outward confession of faith, whatever you did, but it was probably you didn't go through every single thing that you've done wrong in your entire life and confess it, more than likely. That should probably be the only time in your life where you're general when it comes to your repentance. Uh, whether you're repenting towards another person or repenting towards God, we, we can't just get away with forgive me for my many sins because you need to know what you've done wrong. Uh, we can't just say, hey, brother, would you hold me accountable in my walk with God because I need specifics on that to find out what you're struggling in and how I can keep you accountable. When the Bible says confess your faults one to another, it's not just saying to somebody else, hey, I'm a sinner. We already know that. That's not a surprise to anybody. But confessing your faults to say, hey, here's an area where I struggle. Could you help me? You see, first of all, the confession to God is required for repentance. Again, we talked about this morning, the word repentance means to agree with God that you have been wrong. Uh, Repentance is to change your direction based on uh, your agreement with God that you are wrong. And to truly repent, you have to confess what you've done wrong. Again, we don't get to get away with at the end of the night laying our head down on our pillow and say, God, forgive me of my many sins. What did you sin? Because we need to, first of all, it's not because God doesn't know. Secondly, it's not that God can't forgive like that. But you and I both need to be very well aware of our shortcomings. 
it's really easy for me to say what my strengths are. Uh, first of all, the list is really, really short. Uh, but uh, it, it's easy for me to identify that. But to know my weaknesses, I really have to dig deep into my heart. And confession before God requires that I'm honest with myself first and foremost. Keep your finger here in, uh, in James. We're coming back here in just a second. But turn over to Psalm 51 if you would. Psalm 51 is a classic psalm of repentance. You want to know what repentance looks like. You don't know if you're really broken over your own sin. Take a look at Psalm 51 and you'll figure it out. David had sinned with Bathsheba. Man, made a grave mistake. Not only had he been unfaithful, immoral, he also caused her husband to be killed. It was basically an accessory to murder. And he realized that he had greatly messed up. They had a child uh, that was born. The child ended up dying as a result of it. And David comes before God. He spent time on his face. The Bible tells us that uh, they didn't even want to go into David to tell him that the baby had died because David was in sackcloth and ashes before God, wouldn't even get up, wouldn't eat, face down on the floor in front of God. And Psalm 51 gives us a glimpse into his heart. Psalm 51, verse number one, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou Judges, behold, I was, in, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me no wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Here we see a guy, he's not making excuses. He's not saying, well, you know, if Bathsheba hadn't been naked taking a bath outside, none of this would have ever happened, right? I mean, like, she's 50% responsible for this. He didn't, he didn't say that. He said, whoa, whoa, God, my sin is ever before me. I'm very well aware of what I've done wrong. I'm very well aware of my own failings. I'm very, very well aware that my life has just been categorized by an entire laundry list of sin. Now, he says here, in sin did my mother conceive me. doesn't necessarily mean that the act uh, that his mother did was sinful, but just from the very moment that life begins, which is at conception. Yeah, okay, that's what he meant. From that very moment, he already had a sin nature that he could not get around, that he could not skirt. And from that very moment, it was determined that he would sin against the grace of God any opportunity that he got. And so he's basically saying, hey, from the very, very time I was born, from the time I was conceived, I was destined to be a sinner. You see, no excuses in here at all. No blame shifting anywhere at all. Just a whole lot of confession before God. And friend, I want to encourage you with this tonight. If you're struggling with sin, the best thing that you could possibly do is confess it to God and repent of it. Just unburden yourself of the load that you're carrying of your own sin. I, I promise you, you'll find the joy that David did. That's why I think it's really important when he says, verse number, uh, what is it, 10 or 12? 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You know why? Because sin always steals your joy 100% of the time. How do we get our joy back? Confess and repent. Now again, it should be uh, no revelation, new thing to you guys to know that when we sin against God, we lose the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? Amen. 
So when I sin against God, I'm forfeiting not only a right relationship with God, which is critical, I'm also forfeiting the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, the whole list. I'm forfeiting that to choose sin. Just confess it, forsake it, and God will give you your joy back. So again, confession, critical when it comes to repentance with God. Turn back to James chapter 5 if you would. So confession to God is required for repentance. Confession to others is required for those we have wronged. When you sin against someone, you should confess it and repent. I'm not sure where I picked this up growing up somewhere along the way, but I gather the idea that parents never need to apologize to their kids because parents are always right. <laughs> I realized really quick when I became a parent, parents aren't always right. We're wrong a lot of the time. But then you can't apologize for your wrongs because that makes you seem weak. It makes you seem like you don't have authority. But that's not a biblical idea at all. And some of the most humbling times in my life is when I've had to go to my children and say, hey, bud, come here. I'm sorry for the way I handled that. That wasn't right. Hey, sweetheart, come over here and sit down. I raised my voice and I shouldn't have. And I'd like to ask you to forgive me for that. And again, good repentance requires that you not only confess, but that you also change. Because you can't say that you're sorry and then continue to do the same thing over and over. There's no repentance there. And here's the thing, too. We need to understand as we become good repenters, okay? Look, if you're going to be a, a solid Christian, you have to become a professional repenter. Professional, like a pro at it. When you confess and repent for sin that you've done against someone else, First of all, it makes people feel awkward, right? You ever had somebody sit you down and say, hey, I really need to apologize to you for what I said. It's like, ooh, this feels really weird because like, people don't sit you down and apologize, right? This feels really awkward. I don't know how to handle this. And we generally say something like what? It's okay. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. Let's just end this awkward conversation and just move on with our lives like it never happened. But I think it's really important. And anytime somebody says that to me, I, I stop them. Hey, I appreciate you saying that, but it is a big deal. I am going to worry about it unless you forgive me. And I want you to know I'm not going to minimize what I've done. I'm going to own it. I'm going to confess where I've been wrong, and I'm asking you to please forgive me for that. And, and again, for me, I don't stop until they say, hey, I'm going to forgive you. I don't want to badger them or pester them, but I'm not going to allow them to say, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. I, I didn't give a second thought to it. It's not a big deal. No, I really want you to know it's a big deal to me. And it's, what I did, sometimes people say, oh, it's okay. No, actually, it's not okay. That's why I'm apologizing. And so sometimes we need to go to people and to repent to them or confess to them when we've wronged them. This includes individuals or groups sometimes. And if I've wronged my, my wife, I need to sit her down and apologize to her. If I've wronged a group of guys at our church, maybe I need to sit them down and say, hey, guys, now could you get around for just a second? I got something really quick. Take two minutes I need to say to you guys. Hey, just want to let you know the way I handled that situation, 100% wrong. I'm sorry for that. If that's necessary to do, do it. Now, there's something that keeps us. There's something that keeps us from being people of repentance, people of confession. Anybody want to help me with what that is? Pride. Oh, how did you know? It's almost like you already knew. Pride keeps us from being able to confess our faults to one another. Whether we've been wrong or whether we just need accountability, pride will steal our ability to confess appropriately. So we need to make sure that we walk in humility. Sometimes we say, well, I don't think I need to apologize to anybody. Uh, be careful. That attitude's an attitude of pride. And so, again, if I've, made, if I've wronged someone individually, I need to go talk to them. If I've wronged a group of people, I need to do that. Sometimes this includes the whole church. Uh, there's been times in the past where people have done things against our church that they needed to apologize for. We want to give space and, and grace to be able to do things like that. <laughs> there was uh, several years ago, a man that attended our church um, who was running for public office, city council, or something along those lines. 
And basically, he had um, gotten angry at his opponent and called and left a filthy voicemail on her voicemail. You say, okay, what's the big deal? The big deal is, tonight at 6 on Hawaii News Now, local man running for office calls and leaves threatening foul-mouthed voicemail. And they play it on the, on the internet with all the words beeped out of it. And it's just like, oh, my soul. This is a guy who attended church here at Huikala. And so you Google the guy's name, the very first thing is his Twitter account. You click on his Twitter account, the very first post on his Twitter account is praising Jesus at Huikala Baptist Church this Sunday morning with a picture of ladies in our church singing. And I was just like, oh, heavens, this is not good at all. And so, th- and, and so then it goes on Hawaii News Now, and like immediately my phone blows up. Now, mind you, there's like at this point like maybe 40 people in our whole church, and I think all 40 people called me at the same time. Uh, it's just like, meh, 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 meh. It's like, yes, I know. Yes, I heard. Yes, I'm on it. Thank you very much. God bless you. And so, <laughs> good grief, y'all. <laughs> and so... Anyways, I call him, and here's what I did, no lie. And you're like, ooh, how do you handle that? You know, did you read a John Maxwell leadership book that teaches you how to deal with stuff like that? No, I just read the Bible. Matthew chapter 18 says this, if you have a problem with somebody, what do you do? Go to that person and talk to them about it. And so me and and Thatcher, uh, at the time I I had Thatcher sit in with me, because again, at this time, uh, there wasn't a lot of people in our church, and I said, hey, I need you to come by our church and, and, uh, uh, at 6 o'clock before our small groups. I need to talk to you. And so he came and sat down, and we were talking, and he said, so what's up, pastor? He said, hey, man, I, <laughs> I heard what was on the news and what you said, and, and he was just like, oh, my goodness. Are you seriously going to call me in here and talk to me about voicemails that I leave to people? I said, well, here's the problem, brother. That reflects poorly on our church family. And he goes, oh, my soul, Pastor. I never thought about that. He goes, I'm so sorry. How do I fix this? Well, you need to write a written apology to our church family of repentance. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity on a Sunday night to stand up before our church and read your letter of repentance. And then at that point, we're good. And he was just like, okay. And so... Like, no lie, this is how green I was at the time. I was sitting back there thinking, like, oh, this is really, really good. And no lie, 5 o'clock service getting ready to start. It's like 4.55, and I see he's got a folded sheet of paper in his hand. And I said, can I read that right quick before you come up tonight? He's like, yeah, sure. And I read it, and I was like, okay, we're good. And so I handed it back to him. And he got up on a Sunday night and legitimately, from his heart, apologized and repented, said he wanted to make things right. And I said, he goes, he goes what else do I need to do to make this right? You need to call this lady that you've threatened and apologize to her and tell her that's not how you are. Well, I can't do that, Pastor. No, you're going to do that. He goes, I can't do that, Pastor. Yes, you can. He goes, no, I can't. And I'm getting angry at this point. I'm just like, man, don't make me send you through that wall over there. And he goes, I can't, Pastor. She has a restraining order against me. (laughs) Okay, you can't. (laughs) What the world? Here's what I would encourage you to do. Send a letter to her attorney apologizing for what you've done. Because here's the thing. You need to be able to say at the end of the day, I was wrong, please forgive me, I will change, and wash your hands of that and move on is what you got to do. Why? Because that's what the Bible expects of us. So this is a case where he had wronged our church by uh, damaging the reputation of our church. And he needed to apologize publicly for that. And he he did. And here's the thing. After he read his letter, you know what I did? I put my arm around him. I prayed for him. And he went back and sat in his seat. And we just had a great night of of church. And it was never spoken of ever again. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, he's that guy, remember? No, no, no. Done. Because that's what repentance does for us. Hey, if you've got a problem with something that's been done, it's been confessed to God, it's been truly biblically repented of, and you want to hang on to that, that's between you and the Lord because God's already forgotten it. Everybody else is already forgiven. We've moved on. If you want to hang on to that, that's fine. My wife says this. I borrow it from her sometimes. She says, if you want to hang on to stuff like that, that's between you and the devil. And I was like, ooh, I like that. I think I'm going to use that. But Because here's the thing. God's forgotten and he's flushed it. It's over and done with. We get to move on. That's what repentance does for us. And that right there is the story of the gospel, repentance. Next, confession of our own sin is uh, to others. 
is important for accountability. That's kind of the spirit of uh, James chapter 5, verse number 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Here's the thing. It's a very, very healthy thing to confess your faults to other mature, godly Christians. Our, I love our small groups here at Who We Call. Love, 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 love. We're getting ready. This is how crazy things are. We're getting ready to start our 11th small group, probably in the next four to six weeks. One of our groups, they keep giving me fake numbers because they don't want to split up. How many did you have tonight? Somewhere between 16 and 22. Uh, okay, thanks. That's really helpful, right? But, but nobody wants to leave our group. I'm sure you don't. That's why you have 22 people in your group. Uh, and so we're getting ready to chop it uh, and start another group, which, by the way, is super healthy. That's, what, that's how healthy things grow. Um, but here's the thing about that. I love our small groups because it gives us the opportunity to pray for one another. The Bible commands us. You might not know this, but the Bible commands us to bear one another's burdens. Hey, if you're going through a rough spot, I'm going through it with you. Hey, if you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing with you. If you're weeping, I'm weeping with you. That's how this whole thing works. But here's the thing. I can't pray for you and keep you accountable if I have no idea what's going on in your life. And so you need to find godly Christians that you can confess your faults to so that they can hold you accountable. Here's the thing about sin. Sin only has power in the darkness. There have been people who have confessed to me what they thought were awful, terrible, heinous, wicked sin. And it's just like, okay, let's fix it. Well, aren't you upset about it? Why would I be upset about it? Well, let's resolve it. Let's fix it. <laughs> That's why he said this morning and last week as well, hey, if there's folks in our church that are struggling with homosexuality, tell your pastor, I'll help you fix it. That's it. There's no stigma. There's no scarlet letter to be worn. There's no shaming. There's no guilt. If you've got a problem, let's fix it. It's, that, that's, that's what the Bible's all about. You sin against God, you seek God in confession and repentance, and you get to move on with your life. That's how it works. So here's the thing. Here's the problem with sin in the darkness. You think you can keep it dark forever, but you can't. And everything in life revolves around keeping it hidden. We don't want anybody to find out. If somebody does find out, this will be the end of me. If this gets exposed, if light comes in here, and then we not only are steeped in our sin, but we've created an environment where we're purposely keeping people out. For what? To protect this lie that we have that our sin is so meaningful to us. But here's the thing. Once it's exposed, once it's let out, and it's in the light, it's just like, okay, let's deal with it. No lie. Three, four dozen times as a pastor, I sat across the table with men and women, trembling, confessing to me that they are addicted to pornography. Okay, that's terrible. It's wicked. It'll absolutely destroy your life. I'm glad you conf confessed it. Now, let's fix it. Well, is it really just that easy? I don't know. Are you repenting of it? If you are, it's just that easy. Don't ever touch it again, and let's set up a system so that you make sure that you guard your heart against these things in the future. Okay, done. Last fall, we had a, a group of men who came to our Crossroads group. There's a, a group of guys who had either struggled with sin in the past and wanted to maintain victory or were currently going through a fight against some type of addiction or some type of besetting sin or something they just couldn't shake for a bit. And it was the outstanding mix of probably 10 guys or so. The very first night, we all went around in a circle and we shared what we're struggling with. And there was not a single guy there that was just like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe he just said that out loud. That's so shameful. That's embarrassing. You know what we found? Is the more that people opened up, other people were willing to open up too. Hey, you struggle with that. I do too. Hey, here's what I found that works for me. Does that work for you? Hey, here's situations where I'm more tempted. Here's situations where I'm less tempted. Hey, if you get tempted, call me. If I get tempted, I'm going to call you. And it was this beautiful thing of what? People just confessing their sin and bringing their sin out of the darkness into the light because sin no longer has power in the light. Okay, it's out. So what? Again, so many people, when their sin gets exposed, they, they feel so much power over in the darkness that they fail to recognize that once it's in the light, it no longer has power. 
And unfortunately, when people's sin gets exposed many times, instead of seeing it for the positive that it is, I no longer have to live a lie. I no longer have to be bound by guilt and shame. I get to make this open and repent of my sin and move forward. They don't see it that way. They see it as the worst thing that could ever happen. I've known good Christian people who, when their sin was exposed, they took their own lives. Because they believed the lie of the devil that keeping it in the dark was the only way to maintain some semblance of normalcy. No, no, no. Sin has power in the darkness, but sin no longer has power in the light. Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 13. You should write this down if you don't have the notes. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Think about that for a minute. He who covers his sins shall not prosper. Oh, you think that you're the only one that knows, but know this, God knows. And and here's the thing that I, as, as a dad, I can only imagine how our Heavenly Father feels. When we know that we've sinned against God, we know that there's this sin that's got our number, that keeps ringing our phone, and we keep picking it up time after time after time. And then we go to God and say, oh, for God, forgive me for not reading my Bible this morning. He's just like, and, and forgive me for being short with my coworker today. And, uh, forgive me that my prayer life isn't that great. And, is there anything else that you're forgetting here? No, God, that's it. That's it. Forgive me of that. And he's just like, wow, really? Because we think that we can even hide it from God. We don't want to confess that sin to God because then that would mean we'd have to actually acknowledge it as sin. But please know this. The Bible says that all things are naked and open before the Lord. There's nothing you can do to hide your sin from God. Bring it out into the light because he who covers his sin shall not prosper. But he that confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. That's a Bible promise, folks. You want God's mercy in your life? Confess it and forsake it. See, again, sometimes people miss the other part of the the equation when it comes to repentance. Oh, it feels good to let all that out, and then I'm going to continue to go back to my sin. I'm going to come back next week and just let it all out again. No, 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 no. Confess and forsake. Run from it. Get away from it. Be done with it. That's repentance. Next, we see that godly, wise, spiritual Christians are part of the restoration process. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that what? That ye may be healed. (coughs) That's why, again, just looking at the context of this, it talks about suffering, and then it gets down to the verse. We talked about this last week where it says uh, that if any of you are sick, again, that word is only used once, that that Greek word is used only once in all the, the Bible to mean one who's spiritually exhausted. Comes from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, pray that he may be healed. Then it gets down here, confess your faults one to another that ye may be healed. Not of physical ailments, but of your spiritual sickness. And roping other people into the conversation is part of the healing process. Because here's what God knows about us. He knows it's really, really easy to lie to yourself, isn't it? Oh, I've got this handled. I know I did that, but it's never going to happen again. I know that was wrong, and I've apologized to God, and I feel really bad about it, but that's never going to happen again. And guess what? We think to ourselves, I'm going to keep myself accountable with me. It doesn't work that way. Because the easiest person in the world to lie to is to yourself. My wife always, 100% of the time, knows when I'm lying. Always. She's like, you, you do this thing with your face that I always know you're not telling the truth. Now, again, I don't lie to my wife about things. It's just like, uh, oh, we've got dinner planned tonight. She's like, where? She's like, I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. And she's like, you're lying. Where are we going for dinner? It's like, okay, fine. Uh, or I got her something for her birthday or anniversary. You know, I've got something planned. She, does, she knows that I cannot lie to her. I can lie to myself really, really easily. I can't lie to her. I feel bad about lying to anybody else. I have no problems lying to myself. So that's why the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Because if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to find it very, very difficult to lie to your face. Now, people do it all the time. People lie to my face all the time. Hey, man, how's your walk with God been? Oh, it's been really good, really good. What are you reading in your Bible? 
stuff about Jesus, man. It's good. <laughs> hmm. Where at specifically? Like the New Testament, man. Like the New Testament. <laughs> okay. Got it. <laughs> but here's the thing. You've got to choose to not only continue in your sin, but you have to choose to lie to somebody's face. And there's going to come a point where you're just like, you know what, I'm tired of playing the charade. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of living fake Christianity where I say one thing and I do another, and you ask me how I'm doing, and I tell you the answer that I think you want, and then I continue to do what I want. I'm tired of doing that. I just want to do what's right. If that's you, you should do that like tonight. If you need somebody to confess your faults to you, man, talk to your pastor. I would love to, to help you. But it's important to understand that as we see this idea that we confess our faults to other godly Christians that we know and that we can trust because we want to heal. There's a man in our church, uh, man, probably about a year ago, sat down with me. We sit down and say, hey, man, how's things going? He's like, good. God's just been teaching me a lot. And the dude just begins to, to just dump his guts out of every sin that he's ever done and things that he's been mixed up with and things that he wants to change and things that he hates about himself. And he's like, no lie, like dragging stuff up from the time he was a teenager. And I said, hey, man, can you hold up for just a second? He goes, sure. I said, do you realize, like, I'm not a priest? You don't have to confess things to me. I can't forgive you if I wanted to. I want to make sure that you understand the relationship that we have here. And he said to me, Pastor, I know that. I want you to know because I want you to keep me accountable to all of these things that I've struggled with since I was a teenager. And I thought to myself, praise God, man, go on. <laughs> and dude just dumped his guts. And he says, but that's the old me. Like new me starts today. And he goes, I just want you to keep me accountable. And man, I love that because he realized the healing process isn't just waking up one morning and go, okay, guys, today's the day I'm going to do better, do better, do better, do better. I'm never going to do that ever again. That doesn't really work. You need to loop other people into the healing process for you. Ladies, God's given you a godly pastor's wife. She's my counselor, my confidant. Man, if I can trust her, I know you can. Anybody in this church, God's given you a pastor that loves you and prays for you every single day of the week. I want to help you. If you're struggling, man, tell me. Confess it so that we can walk through that together. I'll get you the help that you need to make sure that you can live the life that God wants you to live. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1 says, Brethren, if, just turn there. I want you to turn back here. Galatians, uh, turn to the left in your Bible. Um, I want you to see Galatians chapter 6. This is really important that you see it in your own Bible. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if you don't want to do those things, that's fine. Paul's got a word for you, too. Verse 3, for if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Oh, I've got this covered. Paul goes, yeah, right. Oh, I, I don't need any help. I think I've got this lick. He that thinketh he standeth should take heed lest he what? Fall. Careful with that. So Paul says here, verse number 1, ye that are spiritual, restore that one. Here's what our church needs. Our church needs godly spiritual Christians. That if you're struggling, I should say, hey, Cletus is going to help you with that because Cletus has walked that road before too. Hey, man, Helga over here, she's been through that, done that, got the t-shirt for it. You should totally talk to her. She's going to help you with this restoration process. That's what the church is for. Look, the pastor can't fix everybody's problems, nor is the pastor ever designed to fix everybody's problems. I want to give you godly wisdom. I want to give you godly guidance. I want to shepherd you. But at the same time, I need godly, spiritual Christians that can help restore other Christians at the same time. 
Christianity was never meant to be a solo effort. And so, and again, the end of verse number one. Just this one verse has just so much power-packed wisdom in it. In the verse number one, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Hey, there's going to come a day where you need somebody to lean on yourself. So in the meantime, be that person for somebody else. And it's so good. Here's the thing. Christians who aren't part of the body of Christ either don't attend church or they come in and dip first chance they get and don't make any actual legitimate in-person connections you're missing out on one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given you of community inside the local church. Healing, growing, restoration, re-energizing, man, that comes from local connections. I, I cringe and my eyes roll so bad, I think they're going to roll into the back of my head sometime when somebody says, oh, I went to church online this weekend. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, I love Pastor Matt. Do you know him? I don't. Where does he pastor at? Oh, it's the river in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I didn't know you lived in Tulsa. I don't, but I'm a part of his online ministry. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not. Pastor Matt don't know your name? Like, like if they put you in a lineup, nobody at that church would be able to pick you out. You're not a part of the body of Christ. You might watch their services online. But you're not a part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ requires you, requires you to show up in person and bear other people's burdens. That's a requirement. So no lie, there are people who attend who we call a Baptist church, but don't fit the requirements of being a part of the body of Christ. And I say that because they're missing out. I'm not sitting here going like, Oh, I wish we had more people that were willing to be plugged into the body of Christ. It's like, I feel so badly for you that you're missing out on one of the greatest benefits of being a Christian. Real deal, loving, caring, authentic community, which is what people crave. God's given it to us inside the local church. Go back to, to James chapter 5. So he talks, verse number 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then he goes on to say this, Elias, speaking of Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. You see, ordinary people can pray and receive supernatural results. <laughs> I had a unique thing happen to me today. Um, well-meaning, good guy, loves the Lord, I'm sure. But he came up to me outside on the sidewalk, and he grabbed, like, the edge of my shirt here and was, like, holding it. And I was just like, hey, how's it going? Like, good. What's up? And he just, like, holding my shirt like this. And he said, you remember the woman who had the issue of blood? Yeah. She just touched the hem of his garment, and it, it dried up. And I go, oh, no, 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 <laughs> give me my shirt back. No, 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 give me my shirt back. I just want to touch the man of God's shirt. No, 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 no. It's not like that. Not like that at all. And he's like, well, you have power on you. No, no, no. The power is from the word of God. I got no power at all to offer you. Like, you're just touching my shirt. I'm going to have to wash it later, man. Don't do that. I got to wear this to church tonight, man. Like, but I, what I thought was interesting with that is something that I've seen time and time again. People say, oh, if I could just get this one person to pray for this. Man, if I could get my grandmother, i got to get her on the phone because she's going to start praying. And I know if my grandmother prays, it's going to get done. I don't think you understand the Bible. That any ordinary person that loves Jesus and whose heart is right before God has power in prayer. Power in prayer has less to do with a special anointing and more of the obedience of the one who's praying. It's not a matter of like, oh, if we could just get the pastor to pray for this, it would come to pass. No, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man who's righteous. I don't know, it doesn't require a Bible college degree or an ordination service to be righteous. It just means you obey God. Amen. You want power in prayer? Obey God. 
Bible says that God's ear is not so heavy that it can't hear. His hand is not so heavy that it cannot save. But your sins have separated you from your God so that he will not hear you. Maybe your prayer is being hindered because you're not right with God. Maybe you don't need for somebody special to pray for you. Maybe you just need to walk with God with a pure heart and pray for yourself. I remember several years ago, I got in the mail. I don't know why people send stuff like this to a church of all places. Uh, but it was like, oh, Pastor Daniel has sent you an anointed prayer cloth in the mail. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. And so the prayer cloth, no lie, I'm not making this up, was an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that had been folded into four sections. And it had like a, it was like a really bad rug that was printed on it and it was folded up and it was creased and it was all messed up. And I have like OCD tendencies. It's just like creased, wadded up paper just looks like garbage to me. But it told me, it told me that there was a special anointing on this prayer cloth slash paper. And it says you're supposed to pray for whatever you want to. Put this under your mattress for seven days. I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. Put it under your mattress for seven days. Take it back out. Put $20 in the envelope. I'm not making this up. I'm not making it up. $20 in the envelope with the prayer cloth. You got to return the prayer cloth. You can't just like leave prayer cloths hanging around your house, all right? $20, send it back. Pastor Daniel will personally pray with you. You don't even have to tell him what you prayed for. He already knows because he's got the cloth. Oh, my goodness. And I thought to myself, does anybody really do this? And you know what the answer has to be? Of course people do. Otherwise, they wouldn't send out wadded up sheets of paper to people to pray over under your mattress. What the world? I don't need Pastor Daniel to pray for me. I just need to walk with Jesus and pray for myself. I need to ask a godly Christian friend if he would labor together with me in prayer. Pastor Daniel, whoever, if he even exists, doesn't have any special anointing from God. Walk with Jesus. Do what's right and pray. Here's an awesome thought. The righteous person gets what they ask for in prayer because their requests match the heart of the Father. (laughs) This is, again, this is like, you read it, and it's just like, wow, that's really deep. And you stop for a second, and you wait, that's not deep. That's just common sense, right? The righteous, godly Christian gets what they ask for because they ask for the Father's will to be done. They're not asking for like, Lord, we sure could use a bigger house. Could you bless us with that new house that we saw over there in Kahala? It's only $4.5 million right there on the water, really close to the golf course. Uh, would you bless us with that, Lord? They're not praying for stuff like that. They're saying, God, would you give me an opportunity for you to be glorified in my life this week? God, in the next seven days, would you give me somebody that crosses my path that I can share my faith with? They're praying prayers like that. And guess what? God answers that 100% of the time because we ask according to the will of the Father. That's what Jesus said. If you ask anything in my name, it shall be given unto you. James even tells us that we need to pray in accordance with the will of the Father. So again, this nonsense of anointing. Look, if you want your pastor to pray for you, I love to pray for you. But if you think I got like some direct red phone to heaven that you don't have, that's just not the case. I'll pray for you because I love you and because I care for you. And according to what Scripture says, I'm a righteous man because I truly seek to want to obey God with my life. But there's no special anointing that I have because I'm a pastor. I pray the same way that you do. I pray driving in the car. I pray sitting in my office. I pray sitting on my couch. I don't have a prayer closet. I know some people like have a legit like closet that they go to and pray. I don't. I don't have a special rug that I kneel on when I pray. I don't wear any special clothes. I don't have any special jewelry. Just a dude pouring out his heart before God. I'm, I would count it a privilege to do that for you. But please don't mistake that I have some special power that you don't. It says Eli- Elijah. I love what, the way that James like Elijah. We talk about prophets of the Bible. Like if you ask somebody, name, name the top five prophets of the Bible. Elijah's going to be like top two easy, right? 
But here's how James, it's almost like James is throwing shade at him, right? Elijah, who's a guy who struggled with stuff just like you and I do, it's just like, wow. Like Elijah, the guy who like didn't see death and like rode a fiery chariot to heaven, you're just going to call him one of the guys? Like, wow. But the point he's trying to make here is Elijah, apart from God, was an absolute nobody. But as a righteous man who obeyed God, Elijah had everything. Three final thoughts tonight we're done. First of all, if there's sin you need to confess, confess it. One of these days I'm going to get this right with God. No, get it right today. Knock it off. Stop playing games. For one time in your life, be honest with yourself and be honest with God. If there's sin you need to confess, confess it. It grieves me that people who live a subpar Christian life because they want to hang on to their sin. It's only going to drag you down. It's a weight that you cannot bear. And please understand this. I talked about this at our our men's conference. But please understand this. To pursue Jesus Christ, you have to walk away from your sin. To pursue your sin, you have to walk away from Jesus Christ. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. And so when people say things like, I really want to be closer to God, I just don't know how. Get rid of your sin first. That's the easy part. Well, I know, but there's just some things I can't seem to get past. I don't buy that for a split second. Are there things that you've chosen to do that have ingrained themselves into your nature, your carnal nature, that are hard to give up? I'll give you that. But according to Romans chapter 6, sin has no more dominion over you. And if you continue to play around with sin, it's because you've chosen to yield yourself as instruments to unrighteousness. Romans chapter 6, read it for yourself. But you don't have to sin. So if you got sin tonight, confess it. If you need accountability, ask for it. Don't wait until everything blows up to ask for accountability. I see this happen time and time and time and time and time again. In the history of who we call it, we turn nine in six weeks. Nine years. I've had like maybe six guys and two ladies come to me and say that they struggle with pornography. I've had probably three to four dozen people come to me and say, hey, I got caught at work and I lost my job. Hey, my wife caught me. I need to talk to you. Hey, my kids walked in and saw something they shouldn't have. I need to talk to you. Don't wait until you get caught. Again, he who covers his sin shall not prosper. But confess it and forsake it, and you'll have God's mercy. And know this, the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. It's only a matter of time before what's done in secret comes out in public. So if you need accountability, ask for it. Finally, if you want power in prayer... Keep your heart right. The times in my life that I have prayed that I felt little to no satisfaction in prayer was generally the times when my heart wasn't right. Whether it was sin, whether it was a crummy attitude, whether it was frustration with God for unmet expectations, whatever it was, those are the times that I struggled. And so if you want power in prayer, keep your heart right with God. But here's the idea. You don't have to continue to struggle in sin. You don't. You've been set free from it. Move on. I love what one of the men in our our, uh, Crossroads group that we had, profound statement. we, We met like a year ago. And this statement has rung true, and I've used it with people so many times. When it comes to sin, once you get victory, start looking for your next opponent. I thought, wow, that is so deep. Because our tendency is just like, yeah, got that, look at me. And then we take a seat. And then we're blindsided by sin later. No, no, no. Now I'm going to go hunting for the next thing that's keeping me back in my walk with God. Because know this, there's always something 
Until the day we meet Jesus face to face, we're going to struggle against sin. i got to figure out what the next thing is. And here's the beautiful part about sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. That when you get saved, like you look around at your whole life, or if you walked away from God at any point in your faith, you look around at your life and you're like, oh. It's like walking into like one of those hoarder houses that you see on TV and it's just like, wow, where do we start? Like, I mean, I could try to do the dishes, but I can't even make it to the kitchen, right? That's what it's like when you first come to Christ. You're like, I don't even know where to start. My life is a wreck. And then as we progress in sanctification, the issues that we struggle with are smaller and smaller. Like, I don't worry about cursing around other people anymore. Man, God gave me victory over that like 20 years ago. I haven't said a curse word in over two decades. It's not something I struggle with. Pride, on the other hand, is lurking around every single solitary corner that I walk around. And I've got to be on guard, ready to throw down with that whenever it comes my way. And so, again, if you find yourself in the hoarder house tonight, like, I don't even know where to start. Just start wherever you're at with whatever God brings to your heart. It's a process that you go through. And here's a great part. James says, you get to walk with your church family through this process. If you're further down the road a little bit in your sanctification process and uh, the kitchen's a wreck but the living room's okay, man, get in the kitchen and take care of business. And ask somebody else, hey, could you give me a hand in the kitchen? It's a mess in here. That's what James says to do. Confess your faults one to another and pray and you'll be healed. God will give you victory over this. Know this, there is always victory over sin. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that you're saved, friend. You can't begin to have victory. You can't begin to walk the process of healing and restoration until you know Jesus first. So make sure that's solid, and then we go from there. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.